Not only should Walters be your spot before and after every Nats game, but also Walters is an avenue for cheaper Nats tickets. When buying tickets to Nationals Park through the rest of the season, enter promo code WALTERS for 30% off. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Three two on the way. Swung on and lined into right field. That's going to be a base hit. Guerrero around third coming home. Thomas charging has it in shallow right, but Guerrero already toward the plate will score. Uh, the base hit to right by Schneider. Drives in his 12th run in his 12th big league game. And the Blue Jays have put four on the board here in the bottom of the second. It is now Toronto four and Washington one. It's very early call to the bullpen. This is the shortest start in the career of Josiah Gray. He lasts just two innings, gets six outs. Four runs on four hits, four walks, two strikeouts. It's his fourth rough start of the last five in the month of August. He threw 63 pitches, 36 strikes, but after a 40-pitch second inning, David Martinez has pulled the plug on his outing in favor of the left-hander Robert Garcia. And welcome to Nat Chat for Tuesday, August 29th. 2023, along with MassInSports.com Nationals insider Mark Zuckerman, who was at Rogers Center in Toronto. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast. Well, the Nats only now have their first losing streak since August 9th and 10th. The Nats had gone nearly three weeks without losing consecutive games. If that doesn't speak to how well the Nats had been playing, I'm not sure what does, but the Nats have now lost two consecutive games. Uh, Sunday afternoon, we had the uh, 2-1 loss at the Miami Marlins, a two-deny, then adds a three-game sweep. And Monday night, we had a 6-3 loss at the Toronto Blue Jays in game one of a three-game series. That's now 61-71. and But the biggest item coming out of this loss at the Blue Jays on Monday night is yet another rough outing for Josiah Gray. Four runs in two innings. Yes, he lasted for just two innings. He now, over five starts in this month of August, has an ERA of 884. Davey Martinez, during his postgame session with reporters on Monday night, essentially said that Josiah's mechanics in this game were a mess. He looked like he was struggling a little bit with his mechanics. Physically, I, I think he was, he's fine, you know, mentally, and, and, and he, was, he, was, he was forcing a lot of pitches. So to me, that's just, you know, I didn't want to send him back out there. What had been a really nice season for Josiah Gray is uh, unraveling a bit here. His ERA for the season now is at 405. That's not where we were just a few weeks ago. No, and it's pretty crazy and pretty disheartening to think about that fact that a guy who was an all-star 
just a little over a month ago, all of a sudden is having what doesn't look nearly as impressive of a season and kind of needs a strong finish here to salvage this and not let this thing get any worse. This was rough, but I'll also say this wasn't just a blip. This wasn't just one bad start. It kind of felt like things were building up to a start like this. And I know he was successful last week against the Yankees, but he was successful in spite of the five walks, in spite of throwing more balls than strikes. It felt like eventually that was going to have to catch up to him. And I think it all sort of coalesced around this game against a good Blue Jays lineup that was very patient and then took advantage when it had a chance. And you got through two innings and Davey Martinez says, this isn't even worth trying to salvage anymore. I don't want to put him back out there. He threw a ton of pitches. I'm giving him the rest of the night off. And in doing so, sets up the bullpen now to be in bad shape for the rest of the series. So really kind of worst case scenario, if you think about it, to have this kind of start from Josiah Gray in this game. Yeah. And along the lines of what you just said, you know, it wasn't stunning that this happened on Monday night. Josiah Gray has not been in a good place for a while here. And for a good while, he was able to sort of hold off the season falling apart. And maybe ultimately he gets the season back on track. I sure hope so. But it feels like the toll is being collected right now with him having the season that he's had with putting these guys on base and issuing all of these walks. And man, are the walks a problem right now. So Gray on Monday night, four runs in two innings. He issued four walks over the two innings. He gave up four hits, a double and three singles. He had two strikeouts, 63 pitches over the two innings, a mere 36 strikes, versus 27 balls. He somehow tossed a scoreless bottom of the first despite issuing two walks and giving up an infield single. But Gray in the bottom of the second allowed four runs on two walks, a double, and two singles. He walked two of the first three batters he faced, and he gave up a one-out full-count RBI single by George Springer to left center field. A two-out first pitch, two-run double by Vladimir Guerrero Jr. off the right center field wall, and a two-out full-count opposite field RBI single by Davis Schneider to right field, despite Schneider having been down at 1.02. It was interesting to me the way that Davey Martinez with you guys after the game was pretty open and pretty candid about the mechanics. And we know that the mechanics have come up before with Josiah Gray. Why are the mechanics such an issue for him? I know that mechanics come up with other guys, but boy, this seems to be a particular issue for Gray. Yeah. If you go back to last year, remember he had this longstanding issue in which his front foot would fly open. That would cause the shoulders to fly open and then all the pitches to tail away. And he worked on it this offseason, seemed to have things under control, but I think some of those old habits are maybe coming back now to haunt him. And the other thing that I wonder, and Davey alluded to this as well, you get to this point in the season. We're all the way through August. He's made a bunch of starts. He's made all his starts because he stayed healthy, but there is a grind to all that physically and also mentally in some ways. And you wonder if this is kind of the dog days of August catching up to him. And while physically he may be healthy, there may be no issue as far as that's concerned, it can have an effect on your mechanics and just little things being off from having just pitched so much all year long. And I'll be real interested to see what they do next. So they've gone with the six-man rotation for a while now. They've kind of stuck with that no matter what. Next week, they happen to be off two days, Monday and Thursday, because there's a two-game series against the Mets. Monday would be Josiah Gray's day. Everybody's essentially on a one-week plan right now. 
would they consider skipping his term? Davey didn't rule that out. They're still going to discuss some things. We can push him back, but we'll, we'll see how everything works out here. I wonder if this is a case of, hey, let's give him some extra time, number one, to physically just kind of get away from it and take some of the wear and tear off. Number two, maybe just emotionally get away from it for a few extra days, maybe have an extra bullpen session, try to see if you can fix the mechanical stuff, and then come back after that. The walks really are standing out. So I mentioned that Josiah Gray's ERA for this season is at 405. His walks per nine innings for the season now up to 464. And if you just look at this month of August, he over these five starts has issued 17 walks in 19 and a third innings. I mean, that is sky high. 17 walks in 19 and a third innings. He has 18 strikeouts. He has a strikeouts to walks ratio of uh, nearly one-to-one. We know that Mackenzie Gore and Jake Irvin are on a workload limit. We've talked a little bit about Josiah Gray. Do we know, is he on a workload limit? Is his workload being monitored? Or is the basic idea with him, let him go as much as he can go here? Well, I think the feeling was that because they ramped him up last year and then kind of held him at a point they felt like was appropriate enough, that the next logical step for him to increase that by 20, 25%, whatever it would be, should probably get him through the season. Now, the thing with all these pitch counts and innings limits and that stuff is you can set numbers in advance and have an idea going into what you want to do, but you have to be able to adjust to that based on what you actually are seeing. I remember go all the way back to Steven Strasburg, the infamous shutdown year. They had a thought that he was going to go a little deeper into September, but those last few starts before that, it was becoming clear he was gassed. They decided, no, we're going to pull the plug right here. Now, I'm not saying Josiah needs to be shut down for the rest of the season, anything like that. But I think you're seeing some signs here that maybe he is a little fatigued. And if it means a break or shutting him down before the season is over because you are concerned about it, I think those are things you have to consider, even if he ultimately doesn't get to the number that you ideally were hoping for. If the physical evidence and what you're seeing with your own eyes says, this guy's wearing down. I think they do have to be cognizant of that. Yeah, I mean, there would be great value if he somehow was able to work his way out of this and end the season pitching well. I mean, I think that would be a great lesson for him. I think that would build up a lot of confidence for him. And that would maybe prevent what is happening here from happening in the future if you actually work your way through the struggles. But they are significant right now. This really is a pretty steep fall off in terms of where he was versus how he's pitching right now. You obviously don't want to see the season just completely come apart. I don't think we're at that point yet, but we are starting starting to flirt with that point. Like it's not just that he's having a bad August. He's having a horrendous August. Like the numbers for this month really are bad. He is an ERA approaching nine this month of August. So it's a shame because he has had such a good season and you know hopefully he is able to get his season on track. So we'll see what happens uh, with Josiah Gray. You know, what's funny too is that if you would have told me that his season was going to really start to come apart, I would have figured, well, the home run must be an issue. The home run really has not been an issue. He did not give up a home run on Monday night. He has only given up three home runs in this month of August. This really is about the walks and the pitch inefficiency. If you want to look for silver linings out of all this, I think that's what it is, is that when he gets the ball in the strike zone, he's not being hit hard. So it really, to me, is just about that. There was so much concern last year about, well, if he throws a fastball over the plate, it gets crushed. That's not happening a lot. There were a couple hard hits. That double by Guerrero went to the wall in center field. 
But for the most part, like you said, it's the walks really more than anything that's killing him. And if I'm him, that's how I want to view this and say, if I can just get this thing down where I'm keeping the ball in the strike zone, fix the mechanical glitches, and don't be afraid to put the ball relatively over the plate because until they prove that they're going to hit you hard and drive in runs and bunches like they did last year, I think the stuff is still good enough to suggest that he can be successful, but you can't do it issuing walks at the rate that he is and compiling pitch counts that are just getting to be so high that there's no chance for him to go deep in games. I almost feel like in his next outing, the goal should just be to throw strikes and don't worry about the results. I mean, you mentioned his last outing, that 2-1 Nats win at the New York Yankees last Tuesday night, August 22nd. We talked about this. So he was good in terms of the run prevention, one run in six innings, but he issued five walks and he threw more balls than strikes. This was remarkable. 101 pitches, 50 strikes versus 51 balls. I wonder if they said to him, Josiah, we don't care about the results. Just go out there and throw strikes tonight and let's see what happens. Maybe that's the way to get himself out of this run. I don't disagree. I think that would be fascinating. And as well as the team is playing, as much as you're saying, hey, they want to try to squeeze out as many wins as they can, for someone like him at this stage of the game, I think there would be value in seeing what he could do, just focusing on that throw strikes, try to get ahead of hitters, throw your fastball more. It's okay. If you give up some hard hit balls, you give a homer or two. Okay. At least we'll know. We'll have a better idea. At this stage of the season, I don't think that would be the worst approach. Hey guys, it's Al Galdi for Window Nation. Well, the heat, the humidity, the sky high temperatures, uh, they all are here. And all of this is forcing your air conditioning into overdrive, leading to ultra-high energy bills. The solution, new windows from the folks at Window Nation. And Window Nation right now is offering a sensational deal to listeners of the Nat Chat podcast. Right now, no money down, no payments, and no interest for two years, plus 50% off all styles of windows. And if you call this week, you get an extra 10% off. Call 866-90NATION or visit windownation.com and tell Window Nation that you want the deal that you heard about from Al Galdi on the Nats Chat Podcast. Again, no money down, no payments, no interest for two years, plus 50% off all styles of windows. And if you call this week, you get an extra 10% off your order. 866-90NATION or windownation.com. If you've been thinking about getting new windows, now is the time. 866-90NATION or windownation.com. That's 866-90NATION or windownation.com. And make sure that you tell Window Nation that you want the deal that you heard about from Al Galdi on the Nats Chat Podcast. Are you looking for tickets to an upcoming event? That's why you should download the GameTime app. Create an account and use code NATSCHAT for $20 off your first purchase. You get cheaper tickets and it helps the podcast a bit. Sounds like a smooth 643 double play. Again, create an account and redeem the code NATSCHAT for $20 off. Terms apply. Download game time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price, guaranteed. And now Machado to the belt. Kicks, delivers. Swing and a line drive into right. That's a base hit. Rounding third, Jansen coming home. Thomas' throw is cut off by the first baseman, Smith, near the bag, almost catching it and diving with a runner, diving back into first base. Kiermaier with a single to right, drives in his 31st run of the year. Machado 
Getting himself in trouble after there were two out and nobody on in the play. And it's now the Blue Jays six and the Nationals three. Well, Josiah Gray lasting for just two innings on Monday night meant that Davey Martinez had to lean on the bullpen quite a bit. Once again, the bullpen in a spot like this did come through. We have seen this multiple times this season. This Nats bullpen be looked at as, hey, you're going to have to shoulder a considerable load in this game because the starter didn't go very deep into the game. And the bullpen responds. Four Nats relievers combined to allow two runs in six innings. Wasn't perfect, but it was, you know, more than acceptable. Robert Garcia allowed a run in two innings. Andres Machado allowed a run in two innings. But Jose A. Ferrer, a perfect bottom of the seventh. And Jordan Weems tossed a scoreless bottom of the eighth. The offense was not good, but the bullpen did at least allow for the opportunity for the Nats to try to mount what has become, you know, a fairly common occurrence here. And that is the uh, come from behind Nats win. Right. And it, in a couple of cases, it could have been a lot worse than they righted their ships. I mean, Robert Garcia, his first inning of work, he gives up a homer, a couple other runners on base commits an error on a really bad play. He had to throw 22 pitches in his first inning. You're, you're looking for length. He's supposed to be your long man. And instead, he only is able to give you two innings, but he settled down and gave up just the one run. Then Machado comes in, similar scenario, three guys reach in a row with two outs in the fifth. He gives up a run. He throws 29 pitches to get through his first inning. And now you're thinking, okay, how much farther can he go? Well, he also gave two innings, settled down after that. And so even though in both those cases, the outings did not get off to a good start, they at least got two innings and at least limited the damage to, like you said, keep him in the game. And I'm not going to say that I ever really felt like they were going to mount a comeback, but it was certainly there if they could have just strung together a little bit of something and they basically went silent at the plate over the final uh, four innings of the game. They very much did. You know, this was kind of odd because the Blue Jays starting pitcher was Kevin Gaussman. Gaussman is having a really good season. The Nats actually did all right against Kevin Gaussman, got him out of the game after five innings. He allowed three runs in five innings. He gave up seven hits. He issued a couple of walks, did have seven strikeouts, but I thought that that was a more than reasonable effort by the Nats against Gaussman. The problem was the Blue Jays' bullpen. The Blue Jays' bullpen is quite good, and man, did the uh, three Blue Jays relievers in this game end up shutting down the Nats. And so the Nats for the game scored just the three runs, totaled just seven hits, worked three walks, but went just two for 11 with runners in scoring position. The uh, Nats' seven hits were made up of a double and six singles. The Nats did not homer for a third consecutive game And really, the offense was two guys, C.J. Abrams and Joey Manessis. They combined for five of the Nats' seven hits in this game. And these guys were impressive in this game. Abrams on Monday night was a true igniter of the offense. So he is the Nats' starting shortstop and number one batter, three for five with three leadoff singles, and he went three for three on stolen bases. Did commit an error, but Abrams in the Nats' one run first had a leadoff first pitch single to center field and to steal a second base. Abrams in the top of the third, a leadoff single to right field and to steal of second base. And Abrams in the Nats' two-run fifth, a leadoff opposite field single through the left side of the infield and to steal of third base, despite the throw to third actually beating Abrams to the bag, but he did such a good job of sliding around the tag. And the initial call of safe was confirmed via replay review. So you look at Abrams in this game, three leadoff singles, 
each one to a different part of the outfield, center field, right field, and then through the left side of the infield. The three stolen bases sliding around the tag. I mentioned he did have the error. That was bad. He dropped a foul ball in the Blue Jays' one-run third. But boy, this was really impressive and and I also thought entertaining from C.J. Abrams on Monday night. Yeah, like the full ideal C.J. Abrams experience. Like you would love to get that from any leadoff hitter. I mean, five innings in, three hits and three stolen bases. There was an opportunity later in the game for him to get a fourth hit, a fourth stolen base, something that no Nationals player has ever done, combined four and four of those. And I fully expected he was going to give himself a, a chance at it and just couldn't reach base again. The shame of it is, is that you get that kind of performance from him, two big clutch hits from Joey Manessis. you would hope that that would result in more than three total runs for the team. And unfortunately, you take those two guys out of the equation, everybody else in the lineup went two for 24 in this game. And the one that I think surprised me the most and how disappointing a night it was, was Cabert Ruiz going 0 for 4 with three strikeouts, struck out all three times against Gosman, a couple times with runners in scoring position, no, actually all three times runners in scoring position. And he looked lost up there at times, which, you know, we know Cabert's not always a brilliant hitter and he can sometimes chase, but he gets the bat on the ball. For him to strike out three times in a game for only the second time this year and to look as out of sync as he did, that caught me off guard. That's not the kind of thing we see from him very often. Yeah, K-Bit Ruiz on Monday night was back as the Nats starting catcher. Riley Adams had been the Nats starting catcher for each of the Nats' previous four games and for five of the Nats' last six games. Kbert was coming off having taken a foul tip off his face mask in that uh, 9-1 Nats loss at the New York Yankees this past Wednesday night. So it has been a little confusing what exactly the issue for Kbert Ruiz was. We heard about dizziness. Then Davey Martinez mentioned that Kbert went to see a dentist. Do we know what exactly the problem was for him and uh, not having actually caught in these recent games until Monday night? As best as I can deduce from this, we had a couple things here. You mentioned the foul tip in New York, and he reported headaches the next day. And of course, you're always going to be concerned about that. But concussion tests, everything showed that he was fine. So they didn't think it was anything along those lines. They get to Miami, and he has some kind of dental issue, some pain that perhaps was causing the headaches. Maybe those were connected. So he went and had some work done at the dentist, and it sounds like the work that was done maybe forced him to need a day off just to recover from that, but that it did help the ultimate issue. He was able to pinch hit on Sunday and obviously started and was behind the plate. Though he didn't play well, I think by all accounts, health-wise, there wasn't any issue with this. So I think they were not entirely sure what was causing the headaches, maybe worried at first that it was a foul tip and a concussion issue. Doesn't appear that was the case. It may have been something to do with his teeth and appears he got that addressed and now he'll be fine. But a strange situation, obviously. You don't typically want to see a guy like Riley Adams have to start four straight games. The good news now, they have three catchers on the roster for the first time all year, and I'm fascinated to see how they proceed with that. Well, it was funny with Riley Adams because, you know, we've advocated for him to play more and he did play more and he he didn't do so well. (laughs) So maybe the Nats have known a little more than we've given him credit for. Perhaps Davey knows a little something about matchups and favorable matchups to get the most out of his players. As much as we like to criticize managers, they do have a lot more information than we do. And generally speaking, 
know which matchups are to their advantage and which ones are not. Yeah, I mean, I don't. I'm not going to make too big of a deal of a three game series against the Marlins well into August. But Adams did not look great as a batter in that series. So yeah, the Nats on Monday afternoon did announce that they had selected the contract of catcher Drew Millis. So the Nats now have three catchers in Kbert Ruiz, Riley Adams, and Drew Millis on the active roster. So we have talked about Millis previously. He's an intriguing prospect. The Nats got him via their 2021 fire sale. He was acquired in the Nats trading of catcher Jan Gomes, infielder, outfielder Josh Harrison, and the uh, ever-important cash considerations to the Oakland A's July 30th, 2021. Millis, at the time of the trade, was ranked as Oakland's number 28 prospect per MLB pipeline. So it's not like Millis was some big-time prospect. The A's took him in the seventh round of the 2019 MLB draft out of Missouri State, but Millis has been on the rise. He This season, what is his age 25 season for AA Harrisburg, OPS of 991 over 99 plate appearances. Uh, Ante this season for AAA Rochester, OPS of 760 over 229 plate appearances. We are seeing the Nats make a concerted effort to play some of these younger guys. You know, we are seeing Jake Alou. We are seeing Jacob Young. What do you think the idea here is for Drew Millis uh, at the major league level? So Davey Martinez did say he would like to get a look at him behind the plate, but this is not going to be a case of a guy suddenly getting a significant amount of playing time. We know Cabert Ruiz has the contract. He's been established as their future behind the plate. We know Riley Adams, as we've discussed, has had a really nice season in spite of how it went in Miami. Millis does have a very good reputation for his work behind the plate. And I think they would be interested to see how he did at calling a big league game, working with big league pitchers. He also really took off this year offensively as you gave the numbers there. And on top of all that, he runs pretty well for a catcher. Doesn't have the typical catcher's body. He's a little on the smaller side, very athletic. He talked about how he sort of came to embrace that this year as something that he can add another part to his game that's very valuable, the ability to run bases. So not a huge stolen base threat or anything like that, but can go first to third, score from second, that kind of thing. So how's that all play out? So by having three catchers, Davey can do a little bit more, be more flexible. We've seen at times this year, he'll start both Ruiz and Abrams using the DH. But you're always hesitant to do that because if you have to pull somebody, you don't have a backup. Or if anything happens to them, you have nobody to take over. Now, having the third guy, it's a little bit more luxury. You say, okay, I'm more comfortable playing two of them. You're also more comfortable pinch running for someone late in the game. It happened on Sunday. Ruiz is on base in the ninth inning, and they couldn't pinch run for him because they didn't have anyone else. Gives you that opportunity as well. You saw Millis pinch hit late in this game for Alex Call. He grounded out in his first career at bat. I don't think there's a ton of playing time coming for him, but I think we'll see him in specific spots, and his presence alone does allow for the possibility of more of these games where both Ruiz and Adams play. And I did want to shine a little more spotlight on Joey Manessis. So he on Monday night as an ad starting DH and number three batter, two for four with a two-run double, an RBI single, did strike out twice, but a three-ribby night for Manessis, seeing the Nats one run first, had a one-out RBI single into center field for a one-nothing Nats lead. And Manessis in the Nats two-run fifth, a two-run opposite field double to the right field corner on a one-two pitch to cut the Nats deficit 
to 5-3. I think we all know the deal with the RBI stat. It is flawed, but it isn't meaningless. Like, it does have meaning. It just doesn't have as much meaning as I think, you know, some people think. Manessis for this season is number one on the Nats in RBI with 76. I saw what you tweeted during the game. He does have a shot at a 100 RBI season. Now, you think about this. The Nats now have exactly 30 games left in their regular season. So he has 30 games to tack on 24 more runs batted in to that present RBI total of 76. Not easy. I don't even know if you'd say it's likely, but it's not impossible. That would be something in a season in which Manessis has not hit for much power. And we've kind of been waiting on this, and it really has never come. He still has just 11 home runs on the season. That he could have a 100 RBI season, I think, is a testament to the season that he is having. He's not hitting for power, but he is producing offensively. Yeah, he's on pace for 93 right now. If that's where he ends up, that's a really good year in a lot of ways. And I do think it's reflective of the job that he's done with runners in scoring position, giving you quality at bats pretty much all the time when he's in that spot. And nowadays, you're not going to find a lot of hitters in baseball who can drive 90 plus runners in without hitting at least 20 homers. That's a, a rare skill. Maybe the 85 Cardinals were good at that sort of thing. Not a lot of guys in 2023 are doing that. And it's been interesting to see the evolution of this for Manessis. He was frustrated early on by the lack of homers, then started to embrace this idea of, well, just drive in runs. Like that's ultimately what your job is. Then he went on that home run barrage there for a few weeks last month. And he thought, okay, he may get this thing back together and may turn into that hitter again. Hasn't sustained that, but he is still coming through when they need him to. And there's a lot worse you can have than a number three hitter with 90 plus RBI and a batting average with runners in scoring position, you know, above 350 or whatever it is now for him. So it's taken a while. He's still kind of conflicted over what he's trying to be. But I think more and more he's embracing this idea of if I hit homers, great. But if I don't, let me at least have productive at bats with runners on base. And I think he's done a really nice job of that. I give the guy credit because. This season could have been a disaster for him, could have been a season that you say, boy, that's really exposing him. And it's not really the case. He's having a good season just in a different way than we would have anticipated. Yeah, the uh, batting average with runners in scoring position for Manessis this season, 369. The OPS for Manessis uh, with runners in scoring position, 893. Nothing to be ashamed of there. You tell us what you think. Hit us up on Twitter at Nats underscore chat. You can email the show, NatsChatPodcast at gmail.com, including if you would like to sponsor the show, we'd love to have you on board. Hit up Tim Shover, see what we can do for you, NatsChatPodcast at gmail.com. We also invite you to check out our website, NatsChatPodcast.com, in which you can buy a Nats Chat Podcast t-shirt. All Nationals radio highlights on Nats Chat are courtesy of 106.7 The Fan. A thank you to Tim Newmark for the Nats Chat Podcast music. Visit TimNewmark.com. Next up for the Nats is game two of this three-game series at the Blue Jays Tuesday night at 7.07. Mackenzie Gore will be the Nats starting pitcher. For Mark Zuckerman, I'm Al Galdi. We thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you next time on the Nats Chat Podcast. I'll feel pretty much straight away from Millis. And the pitch swung on and a high fly ball into right field. Meisner is going back onto the track, right in front of the wall. He jumps up and it's out of his reach. A home run. Millis has tied the game with a solo shot into the wings, bullpen and right. And it's one to one.
Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.